The human male never seems to progress past adolescence. To the Batmobile. Goodly, goodly. Let's go. Danger. Let's go. I need a horse. Six foot taker. You wouldn't like me when I'm wrong, 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 you Yeah. I can fly. Big sex organs. Hello, darling. Welcome to the comic trope. The Comic Trope is a podcast about comics and the culture that surrounds them. I, me, Blake, invite friends over such as Tom with an H and Mr. Bitches, a.k.a. Smiling Dave, a good friend of mine. And this episode, episode 49, is going to be spoilerific, which is an actual word that was added to uh, famous dictionaries all around the world after I just made it up. This, did I make up spoilerific or spoilerific? Or have I'm, you guys heard that before? Like 90, 98% positive that somebody somewhere has used spoilerific before. It's a good word. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I just made it up now, but spoilerific, other people probably have said it, just didn't know that I would make it up later. Right. And get credit for it. I used to uh, take pictures of those like, little shitty Fast and the Furious cars that I would see in the mall parking lot mm. and text them to people. Um, and say spoiler alert with a picture of it because it have a shitty little spoiler on the back. <laughs> if only you knew about the word spoilerific back then, I could have doubled said spoilerific. it. Spoilerific, yeah, I could have doubled mm. down on it. Tom, how are you doing today, buddy? Yeah, pretty good. I'm. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was the first spoilerific uh, usage. I'm going to search the hashtags like, right now. Hey, yeah, just like Homecoming is the first Spider-Man. Hey, movie. Tom. The others never. Hey, Tom, existed. with that loud ass keyboard, could you please check out spoilerific yeah. for us? Let's, talk, let's hear that keyboard. I want to hear. All right, let's let's make this a bit. Let's make this a bit. Let's see. Uh, spoiler. <laughs> he's uh, he's just he's trying to find us a nonstop oh, oh, flight nope, to there. Acapulco because we don't want to do any layovers. Mm-hmm. All right, I need the security code on the back of the car. <laughs> What's the four digits? Uh, we didn't even talk about what. It's only three if it's a beast. We didn't even talk about what we're spoiling. We're spoiling spoiler. We're spoiling. <laughs> Hey, we're going to talk about Homecoming, the Spider-Man movie. We all saw it. Oh, um, man, I thought you were... <laughs> you said we were doing a, a spoiler podcast on Homecoming. I thought you wanted me to talk about what the Homecoming dance was like for me last fall. You went to a Homecoming dance last fall? No, that'd be creepy. I'm so old. <laughs> I, I still get invites to my uh, my alma mater's Homecoming stuff. I think it's for... We don't have a good football team. I don't know what it is. But I went once because I happened to be in town... And it was just a bunch of really old people awkwardly dancing. So I, I don't think I'm ever going to. I that. only awkwardly dance, regardless of my age. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I basically dance like Bill Cosby in the Cosby Show intros, but less rapey. <laughs> you know. Well, here, well, here's the thing: is that no one knew that was a rapey dance at that time. I mean, so <laughs> I think even if you did it now, people would still be caught off guard. They'd be like, oh, "Okay, all right." Um, you have a little knee twist, you know? Speaking of knee that. twist, uh, Blake, I, I imagine that you do some sort of a Elaine dance from Seinfeld, only uh, it's... <laughs> like yeah, the body dry yeah. That's what I imagine. If it was only that good. Damn, really? <laughs> it's, a lot of, it's a lot of belly movement, mostly, for me. That's how I got the ladies, man. I was always a good dancer. I think I still am. I haven't been dancing in a, a year or so, but I believe I'm still good. You gotta, you gotta brush off them dancing f- shoes and treat your lady to a night... <laughs> Out on the town. Is Fred Astaire that ass? A Fred Astaire at that ass? <laughs> the men who Fred Astaire at goats. That's a, a book I've got coming out about using your mind to dance. You know, other uh, other name puns, such as Tom Hollandaise. 
Tom Holland days. Tom Holland uh, tunnel. Every time I hear that, I want to say Holland days, like holiday. Celebrate. I don't know why. Yeah. Let's do an icebreaker. (laughs) Thank you. That was good. I feel like you might have been practicing, Tom. Yeah, actually, it took a little bit in front of the mirror. So this is our listeners' last chance. If you haven't watched Spider-Man Homecoming, don't listen to this. Or if you don't really care about the movie, listen to this. But know that we're going to basically ruin this movie for you. I'm pretty sure I'm going to make the name of this episode Spider-Man Homecoming. We're ruining this movie. Maybe we'll make it better because it'll be people expecting another Sam Raimi movie. We're letting them know, you know, what to look out for. We're we're letting non-comic readers know all these little... I kind of wish that this podcast was Sam Raimi, like, the whole time critiquing Homecoming. Just really spiteful about it, which I don't think he would be because he seems like a pretty good dude. But I want to imagine that he is. Jeez, they're doing the elevator thing and... He's upside down. He's going to kiss her upside down. I did that. Exactly. You know, I don't know what his voice sounds like at all, but I it's probably pretty close to that. That's classic yeah. Raimi. Hey guys, what Spider-Man villain do you want to see in the next Spider-Man or a upcoming Spider-Man? Uh, well, I, I don't want to see any villains that we've already seen. I think that, I'm definitely gobbling out for the rest of my adult life. And there may come a day that I want to see them revisit Goblin because it is a pretty classic character, especially in regards to, to Spider-Man and his, his world, his rogues gallery. Uh, but we've seen enough iterations of that character at this point to where I'm probably good for the next little bit. Um, Can we talk about Goblin out before we move on to your answer? Because that sounds like, like that sounds like a to-go restaurant. Like, welcome to Goblin out. Goblin That's- out sounds like what a what a <laughs> goblin DJ says before he, he ends his show on the air. That's been another hit record from the Beastie Boys. Well, looks like my time is done here. I'll catch you guys on the flip side tomorrow. Goblin out. And then like he picks back up and Quiet Storm takes over for the rest of the night. I wish that Green Goblin would just say that every time he flew away. <laughs> goblin he out. A pumpkin. <laughs> he blew some shit up and he was like, yeah, goblin out. <laughs> Gotta have some thug music too. Yeah. With the sunglasses that drop down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pumpkin bomb sunglasses come down and perfectly <laughs> land on his, his head. Uh as for what I'd actually like to see, um I think Rhino would be cool. We've um, seen him though. Yeah. Yeah. You're not bullshit Paul Giamatti in a fucking construction vehicle suit. Like like actual yeah. Rhino. Like I, I mean, I don't. It's not that I even minded really the direction they were they were thinking of taking Rhino uh, in the last film with uh, with Andrew Garfield. But I think Rhino would be cool. Uh, I think Mysterio would be really fucking cool. Like because he's just got a really great uh, backstory, uh, and I think that his power, especially with today's modern technology and special effects, could be done to some great effect. Uh, mm, Looks like we're going to get the scorpion, so we're probably going to see him. Not one of my favorite, um, simply because he basically has a like almost identical story 
to Spider-Man's. He's bit by a, a scorpion, essentially, and then given scorpion-like powers. But not really. He just has a suit with a tail on it that has venom. You know. So how many more movies do you want to see the lizard in? Because I was really compelled at, uh, you know, just how much he wanted to turn other people into a lizard because he was a lizard. That whole storyline. I don't know. He was into it. It just touched He was him. really, yeah, really into like, it. I am a lizard. Others will become lizards. If they just made... Only he didn't have his yeah, cool voice. Yeah, super cool voice. It would have been better if it just straight on bit G.I. Joe. I was just about to say. Right? I was once a man. It's got to be that, right? That voice that. only works yeah. if you've got Roadblock's rhyming sing-song speech to to uh, to couple with it. How many times do you think we've referenced the G.I. Joe movie? I think like once every three episodes. It's really made an imprint in my childhood. <laughs> that was a big deal. That and the, the Transformers movie both. Um, oh, yeah. Transformers actually went to theaters. It did so poorly that they didn't release G.I. Joe in theaters. Um, but I was a much bigger G.I. Joe fan growing up. For whatever reason. Not that I didn't like Transformers. I just really, really liked G.I. Joe. Yeah, nobody died. It was fun for everybody. Even Cobra. Yeah. Well, uh, in the original script, apparently, uh, Lieutenant Falcon dies in the G.I. Joe movie. Yeah. And they they put it together. They gave it to test audiences. And children were like, well, Lieutenant Falcon was my favorite character. And they were like, what the fuck are you talking about? We made him up for this movie. He was your favorite character. <laughs> he had a coma oh, instead oh, oh, of oh, dying. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's Duke. Duke is yeah, the one. And Duke, Duke was a huge character. Duke was, yeah. in fact, like a massive character. He was the leader of the original set of Joes. So, uh, yeah, kids were like, but Duke. And so they were like, oh, okay. He's in a, he, a snake went into his heart. He's in a coma forever. <laughs> the end. No, no, he wakes up at the end. <laughs> Oh, that's right. When they're standing but isn't he there, still, like laying down, like almost dead. I feel like that they didn't have like the budget to fix him from being undead, so they're like, no, no, no. They, they don't even they don't even do it. Like they're standing there at the end and they're watching Cobra Law like sink back into the earth and the sea, and Lieutenant Falcon standing there with a couple of other Joes, like Jinx. I think they've fallen in love now, and they're looking off in the distance at Cobra Law fall down, and. Scarlet comes up and she's like, yay, we did it. And he's like, that's great. And she goes, also, I just got word the Duke is out of his coma. That's, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Hey, everybody, he's not dead. Hooray. And that was something they ah. added in there at the very end. Um, you don't actually ever see anybody like say he's in a coma because it was something they added in. They just like held the scene longer while they were looking down at him in the ground. And they were like, yeah, that's he's what in a coma. <laughs> they just looked at him and they knew his ass was in a coma. <laughs> Gotta love that. <laughs> like none of their lips move. He's just like, oh my He's God. not dead, he's in a coma. <laughs> so here's the here's the Spider-Man villain that I want to see in the next. And I think it's very doable, okay? And the character's name is Overdrive. Overdrive was hired originally by Mr. Negative to steal artifacts from a museum. And his only like power was that no matter what car he got in, that car turns into a super fast, like awesome car. That's his only power. Like he's really good at driving, but the main thing is as soon as he gets into a car, it turns into like a sports car. And one comic, Spider-Man like forces him to crash and then out of overdrive's trunk comes a bunch of like a bunch of spider-man bobbleheads fall out and he's like a huge spider-man fan and he's only like doing these illegal things so that he can figure out how to become a superhero 
uh, one of my favorite Spider-Man villains that's just ridiculous. He was in um, uh, Superior Foes to Spider-Man, which is a great book. And I don't know. It's like one of those secondary characters I could see really working. Yeah. Uh, would it be Vin Diesel? Though? <laughs> it has to be. Has to be. It could totally be Vin, Diz- Vin Diesel. It could it, be. Uh, it could also Diesel. be. It could also oh, be Baby that. Driver. Yep. It could be Baby Driver. Ah. It could be Toby Maguire. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm not familiar with the character, but it seems cool to show that on screen. You know, you kind of throw in a little transformer. <laughs> this is now a Corvette. It was a station wagon. Mm. Yep. It, yeah. like his body says that to him. Apparently, like let him know what he's what he's done to the car. Uh, but here's the I, thing is he just gets into a car and it magically turns into a sports car. It's not like he turns into a sports car. Like his, the, right, the no, stupid thing is that his power is just weird as shit. Like he just gets into a car he and it's supercharges just engines when he's near them and he yeah. cranks them up. I just want to see a, a moment of, of Robert Downey Jr. is like, no, wait, don't let overdrive get in that car. You know, like just think about how much money he would make to say a ridiculous line like that. That'd make me really happy. That that That's yeah, that would be pretty good. Now, I also wouldn't mind seeing Craven the Hunter. That would be a pretty cool storyline. Craven, he would have to be the main bad guy, and it would be awesome because he hunts Spider Man. Mm-hmm. That had to, and that that would have to be like a. I feel like all of these movies, and this may be getting ahead of the icebreaker stuff, but it's about the larger world at hand, like even homecoming, even though it was about Spider-Man, like it still was very obvious that they were in the MCU. So the bad guys, I don't know. They didn't feel like only a threat to Spider-Man. Whereas Craven, I mean, he is out to get Spider-Man. He's not the vulture who's trying to go get some money and get stopped by Spider-Man. So that's what would make that interesting is that Spider-Man's on the defensive cool you can almost make that like a horror movie too like predator craven's last hunt was basically a horror book i mean that could go really well yeah they wouldn't be able to i mean i guess they could include punisher but up until this point they haven't really seemed too keen on the idea of mixing the television mcu with the cinematic mcu yeah it seemed like the opposite for sure they just announced the first character that's going to be in a movie and in um uh netflix and it's a character from black panther it's like a secondary character that i don't have it right in front of me so it's the first uh hmm. the first crossover has been announced so hopefully that's good breaking ground that's good uh omens i would love to see uh yeah. kingpin in in spider yeah that guy did a great really job did. um I, mine's easy just venom and carnage you know they're they're already getting done so we're gonna skip me man i'm interested to see how they're gonna do that because venom and carnage are not going to overlap into the mcu but they can be part of the what what is it called again it's the spider-man spider-man universe or whatever sony spider marvel universe the smooth smooth um the net the spider net so i don't know we'll see i I have no clue how they're gonna do that but before we get into homecoming i'd like to talk about some news (laughs) 
the Spawn remake is apparently on indefinite hold until Todd McFarlane gets the deal that he wants. Uh, now I, I knew that they'd been talking for several years about wanting to bring this property back to the uh, the silver screen. Who the fuck says that anymore? The silver screen. Is it still silver? I mean, I mean, if you go see an IMAX movie, it's like millions of little holes. I guess it's technically kind of whitish. The silver screen. I guess calling it the white screen would be fucked up. <laughs> Why it's got to be white? Um, so, yeah. So the the big difference or the big deal with this whole thing is is that Todd McFarlane. Uh, wants full control. And when I say full control, he wants to be the writer, the director, the casting director, and the producer on the film. Has he done any of those things on previous films? No. Has he done a film? Did he do the Spawn film? I mean, he was at least a consultant on it. I don't know that he had anything other than maybe just like an executive producer title to it, if that. Um, but Have you watched that recently? I can't remember... I mean, I've only seen it as a kid. Was it good? No, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not good. It's, I mean, it's it's fun to watch. Uh, and Michael Jai White is actually pretty damn decent in in the titular role. Um, and it's got uh, John Leguizamo as the clown of all fucking things. Yeah, it's it's not terrific. Not nearly as good as you might remember it if you remember it at all. Uh, but. The the big deal is is that studios are like well, I'm not giving you money to to do a film if you're going to you know insist on on doing all these things and from what I understand he kind of isn't even willing to to allow them to put other people on the project with him. Do you think it's actually so bad that he knows it is so that he's just trying to get people to say no to it so that he can go, well, they wouldn't let me do the movie I wanted to do, so we're not doing it. I, mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, I, it just seems strange to me that he would be pushing so hard for something like that. Well, um, kind of along that line, the directors of uh, the new Star Wars movie, you know, the Han Solo prequel, they, they got canned and now Ron Howard of all people going to direct a star wars movie that's that's crazy to me yeah i uh, i don't know how much more is is still left yeah i mean it's already shot a lot of it i think so hopefully it doesn't get the same treatment as as rogue one with a ton of reshoots and I've, i really like rogue one but you could tell that there's a different movie at first at least from what the trailers originally showed us well i mean the the, the first trailer or two had a completely different looking forrest whitaker as saw guerrera in it i mean he was yeah, 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 the right. short hair and everything. Kind of like uh, Rebels yeah. and Clone Wars. And he kind of just looked like a frazzled you know, guy that's been out in the wild yeah, for too he did long. look pretty nuts. I guess they went back and they were like, this guy <laughs> needs to be fucking insane. Yeah, he uses an octopus on the guy from uh, that HBO show about prison. So he's got to be pretty <laughs> that nuts. HBO show about prison. <laughs> uh, what is it? The Night Of. Yeah. That's pretty good. Hey, so Jeremy Renner broke both his arms? Yeah, Did you guys see that? New Avengers, I think. I think that they came out and said it actually was filming something else, but he's about to film his stuff in Infinity War. But I think that's just more proof that we need him as a main character in a, some kind of team-up movie. He puts 110%. That's crazy. You're going to break two arms acting? The fuck? You think he was just yelling at the camera really intensely and then his, his tibias gave exploded. out? exploded. <laughs> or whatever it is. 
arm bones they are. <laughs> so a couple other things. Uh, Gotham by Gaslight, which we've read and discussed on the, the podcast prior uh, in, earlier, in an earlier episode, uh, is getting the animated treatment. It will be the next DC animated film. DC is on point with their animated films, and I am excited. That's a good comic, and it could be a great cartoon as long as they're not afraid to make it um, adult. I mean, they don't have to go like all out and make it R, but just, you know, keep it dark. Yeah, I mean, if, if they can put the killing joke out, and I really like the second half of the killing joke, but the first half where they added way too much background yeah. stuff. It's kind of like, man, why'd you do this to a great comic? As long as I kind of stay away from that, but like you said, keep it adult. I, keep I the tone. Keep the job. tone appropriate. I mean, it's a great book, so I, I'm glad to see that happening. Yeah, but speaking of Batman, one other piece of Batman news. Uh, so, writer illustrator Sean Murphy has an upcoming series called Batman White Knight, which is pretty cool because it's a, you know, a little spoof on Batman. The Dark Knight, except it is not going to be uh, a spoof at all. Um, it takes a look at Batman as the villain. So the the basic premise is that he, as a you know, taking vigilante justice into his own hands, basically goes too far. Uh, it, it's kind of a I don't know if it'll be end up being an Elseworlds thing if DC is even still actively working on Elseworlds, uh, but it's going to have a storyline in which the Joker, who basically is rehabilitated during his time in Arkham Asylum kind of wakes up and becomes super and keenly aware of the kind of incredible threat Batman poses to society. Did you guys ever read uh, Umbrella Academy, the Dark Horse comic? Apparently that's going to be a new animated show on Netflix. No, I, I've never actually read it. Um, as a, a matter of fact, uh, I do know a pretty decent amount about it uh, just because it's... Uh, uh, written by Gerard Way, who is the lead singer for My Chemical Romance, but I've never actually read any of it. Uh, and did you say it. animated? I thought it was not animated. Is it an animated show, or is it going to be live action? Oh, I think... Uh, wait, no, it's live okay, action. You're cool. right. Yeah, but it is Dark Horse. Yes, Definitely is Dark Horse. Is Dark Horse. Uh, so this was like one of his big... This was his like breakout book, right? From, from what I understand. Now, I read it maybe like last year. The art... Um, is really interesting because it's very cartoony. Like everything is very um, stretched out, and the uh, it's hard to explain, but it's almost got like a Nightmare Before Christmas kind of feel to it. And it's it's like these superhero characters that were created by a uh, doctor, and they become basically the saviors of Earth, but at the expense that they never had a real childhood. And because of that, some of them become villains, like, in the future. It's very interesting. Um, and it won an Eisner Award, which, in 2008, that was kind of a big deal because it was up against, like, a lot of other books that most people thought were better. Um, I don't know. For someone to come out of the gates this strong, that was pretty impressive, in my opinion. Um, but I only read the first book like it followed up with like a few more that i heard were not as not as wonderful but i think that a show is pretty interesting do we know anything about it other than it got greenlit no i don't it's just one of those things where i scrolled past and i was like what is that i should probably ask these guys yeah i, I would yeah. suggest reading it's pretty interesting yeah i think it was only just recently too like in the last like week or so cool mm -hmm. hey guess what uh thor ragnarok is called in japan thor lagnarok what? oh boo 
Mighty Thor Battle Royale. Battle yeah. Royale is that like the uh, the show or the movie where all the teenagers? Kill I each think other that on that maybe is why they picked that because Battle Royale was a huge sensation. Um, so much so that it kind of bled out of uh, Asia, right? It it became like a pretty popular. Um, Not you made a pun. Bled I did? out. <laughs> yeah, it basically it basically became Hunger Games <laughs> at the end of the right? You know, maybe. But <laughs> the uh, but anyways, Battle Royale, Mighty Thor, Ant Man and the Wasp is the next <laughs> Ant Man movie. And what we're hearing is that they're creating a movie that can do even stranger things. That's like a quote that they're using right now. And I like the idea. So I really liked Ant-Man. And I'm really hoping that they spend more time in the microverse in this. Because the microverse is awesome. Like in the comics, they're like bad guys just in the microverse. Which is pretty interesting that they fight. But... Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. That was a long time ago, but that was a good movie because of the ridiculousness of being that small. I want to see some of that in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah, I mean, if a movie like that can make a guy like Rick Moranis as famous as he is, there's a reason. And then think about all the Disney rides. They're going to bring back Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, but it's going to be Ant-Man and the Wasp in the audience. Yeah, they'll just paint over the giant Mm -hmm. ants and put Paul Rudd on them. Paul Rudd makes everything better. Mm-hmm. He makes a lot of stuff better, that's for sure. He was the only decent thing about uh, what was that sequel to Knocked Up? This is forty. This is I never saw that. Forty. This is thirty. It looked really bad. It's 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 yeah. not a bad film. He's great in it, and so is uh, what's her name that plays his wife. She's really fucking good too. I can't remember her their name off the top of my head. What are Paul Rudd fans call themselves? Rudders. Ruddites. <laughs> They're called Ruddites. Yeah, are you serious? That. No, they, I'm not. They, they might be. I don't know. All right. Um, can you please use your uh, a magical keyboard, Tom, to figure out what <laughs> Paul Rudd fans are called? <laughs> Definitely not as cool as uh, Kurt Russell fans. Yeah, what do I look up? Paul yes. Rudd fan club? <laughs> Paul Rudd web? There's actually a website, paul-rudd.com. Oh, that makes sense. That's not punny at all. Yeah. Um. Celebrating one year. Oh, that's sad. Congrats, guys. <laughs> Paul Rudd has only had fans for one year. <laughs> yeah, they, they made it, it you guys. Let's see. Is there a forum? Is, there's no forum? This is disappointing. This it's is just one enough. guy who's semi-posing himself in, like, Paul Rudd gifts. So you guys were telling me earlier that there's going to be a second symbiote. 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 Why can't I say it? Sim. There it is. Symbiote. 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 There's going to be Carnage and Venom in the Venom movie, and they're going to try to make Venom a protagonist, and Carnage is even more evil. How are they going to do this? Yep. I don't know, but I'm excited. I'm really excited. Tom Hardy's Eddie Brock. What? So Tom Hardy was actually the original shocker in this movie. I don't know if you noticed. And then he got hit with the thing and disintegrated. <laughs> that was actually no, it Tom wasn't. Hardy. Right? Yeah, look up the picture. It was him. What? That's not Tom Hardy. That's not Tom Hardy. No, that's not, Tom, not Tom Hardy. He doesn't just show up for cameos in, in whatever superhero <laughs> movie they, they'll take him in. Um, also, he didn't have his face covered, which is Tom Hardy's in his contract is... Hello. 
Whatever movie he does, like at least a third of it, he has to have his face covered up. Yeah, and now uh, Dunkirk too. Yeah, he's everybody else sounds fine, but he clearly is talking like he has a mask on. The other guys are like, "Well, Sonny, I got your back. I'm here to save you." And he's like, "Well, I have him. I will shoot him. Turn left on three seven. I don't know he's, about he's Dunkirk, guys. What? Were you gonna fall asleep? I could. I mean, I feel like if I had a heart rate monitor on the first time I saw the trailer with like the clicking clock sound that's on the whole trailer, I feel like my heart rate must have spiked like forty. Yeah, are you talking about the uh, the extended prologue thing from uh, Rogue One's uh, IMAX release? It must have been because it was a really long trailer, and it was like like six minutes or something, seven minutes. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, oh my god, and it just keeps getting more and more intense the entire time. Yeah, that sold me on it. It was terrifying. I was like, all right, I just want to watch this now. Yeah, fuck Rogue <laughs> I One. I see Rogue One. Play this just, shit. Yeah. We'll see. But granted, well, it'll probably just be the guy from 28 Days Later sitting on a boat for like three hours. So I might uh, I might take that back after seeing it. Turn around. Who do you guys want to play Carnage? Do we know who's playing Carnage? We don't. Who do you want to play Carnage? Uh, yeah, I don't think they've they've mentioned yet. Um yeah, I haven't seen anything. I want a 15-year-younger Jackie Earl Haley, the guy that was Warshack. But that's not going to happen. So more realistically, I, I don't know. Carnage needs that's to be tough. someone who can be crazy, and he should still be super Southern. He needs to keep that like creepy yeah. Georgia accent, you know? Um, yeah, just a guy that loves sitting on his, his porch drinking, drinking sweet tea. My, uh, my personal pick would be Paul Dano. What's Paul Dano from? Why can't I picture him? Uh, he was in Love and Mercy, the um, Brian Wilson uh, biopic they released like last year, year before that. Oh wait, was he was he in uh, Prisoners? Yes, was he, he was the he was the mentally he was? handicapped kid that uh, that Wolverine kept in that little shower inside the abandoned apartment building. Yeah, no, he was pretty scary in that. I could see that. Man, that, he that was, was uh, he was like the really like incompetent uh, like taskmaster on the plantation in Twelve Years a Slave. Oh, okay. That gets the whip taken yeah, from him, and then that. like he gets hit with his own fucking whip like a bitch. Got it. And he was Seth in, in Looper. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I could see that he can do a crazy guy for sure. I don't know about like the southern accent, but he definitely has that crazy. Guy well, he had a southern him. accent in Twelve Years a Slave. I didn't see it. Super good flick. I trust you, though. I trust you. Let's talk about Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. I have a question for you, and it's, did you love this movie? Because I ended up loving it, and I didn't... I had very high expectations, one, and I just didn't... I just didn't think it was going to be that good, and it really was. It was a great film. No, I, I felt the same way. I, I had super high expectations because I love Spider-Man as a, as a comic character. You know, obviously one of the more iconic characters out there. And I've been, you know, reading his comics and watching the cartoons, playing all the games, um, as long as I can remember. So it, it's really exciting to see, you know, really Spider-Man for the first te- first time on the screen because. The Sam Raimi ones, the um, Andrew Garfield ones, they were really 
I don't know. They they felt like what the general public would want to see, not necessarily what a fan of the actual source material would want to see. So that was really cool to see them kind of step away and almost have like a checklist of things to avoid, like cliches. Um, other than saying, you're not so different, you and me. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't say that. That was Green Goblin in the first one, and I hated it. No, I, I really liked it, though. I really liked how they tied in Civil War. Um, I like the home video stuff that Spider-Man did oh, at the beginning. Yeah. I like seeing everything from his perspective, how psyched he was about everything. I thought that was really cool. Uh, I especially enjoyed... Um, the texting. You laugh. I think you laughed yeah. the hardest at the texting, when it just didn't stop <laughs> just every two seconds. Hey, it's me, Peter. Oh, the te- Yeah, when he was texting Happy about like wanting to go back yeah, to yeah. work again. That was great. Um, what... What were the funniest moments for you guys in this movie? Um, I'm trying to remember exactly the, the, the stuff that I laughed out loud at. Because, I mean, there was more than just a few things that I that kind of caught me. And I was I got pretty live on it. Honestly, uh, the Captain America stuff, the the like the not motivational, but the informational videos that I guess he's like, he does that they distribute to public schools across America. I thought was amazing. Uh, the fact that, uh, the gym teacher who was being played by Hannibal Buress, right? how great was yeah. that? Uh, the fact that he was oh, standing on the wrong side wait, before of skip the that, television. Though, yeah. I was just going to say that that <laughs> cracked me up probably more than anything when he pointed yeah. the wrong way or whatever. That was <laughs> so good. <laughs> well, also when Hannibal is like, he's probably a war criminal or something. That was that was good. I mean, the casting is, it was a very good in general. And I think that this is one of the funnier, um, Marvel movies that I've seen, you know, up with guardians of galaxy one and Deadpool. I mean, this was m- much more humorous than I expected it to be. Yeah. Like Donald Glover popping up. I, I loved his character. And, uh, if you caught his name, Aaron. it was, uh, it was yep. Aaron Davis. So he's the uncle. Who is also, Morales. do you think he'll come back? Well, he's, he also was a, a superhero in the comic books, or a villain, however you want to say it. He's, um, oh, what is his name? Fuck. Prowler is the name of the uh, villain slash superhero that Aaron Davis plays, who also happens to be the uncle of Miles Morales. And we've been told that Miles Morales does exist in this universe, which is pretty interesting. Uh, how they're going to kind of loop that in and whether they're going to have it in the SMU is to be told. But I do like that they're they're trying to have calls towards it because a lot of people believe that Spider-Man is going to replace Tony Stark in Phase 4. But it's not being talked about a lot officially because we don't know how Sony and the MCU is really going to operate together. Because Tony Stark is old, and he can't really be the leader of the Avengers much longer. So uh, I'm interested to see what what happens after Infinity War and what Sony, like how Sony plays with uh, Marvel in general. And with the success of Spider-Man, I think they might have a little bit more uh, reason to continue on working and playing nice with the, uh, with the MCU. Yeah. They see the money's there for sure. Um, do you think, who do you think bought Avengers tower? Do they not say this kind of a random question? 
I don't think they say. They just say, hey, someone bought it, and we're moving. What if Howard Osborne bought it? And we get right back to the Green Goblin stuff. Right I don't on. think so. They've I, already said. I don't think they'll do that. They've already said that they're yeah. not interested in using any of the characters that we've already seen. So there's that. So we talked about funniest moments in in this. Um, I want to kind of touch on how different this Spider-Man is from previous Spider-Mans we've seen. So I think I think that Tom Holland has taken a lot of the playfulness that we saw with Tobey Maguire. But it's much younger because he is younger, right? And this is a high school version of the character. I, I enjoyed like the cutscenes in which he is messing up a lot, but he's doing it in a way that he's going out and trying to help people. And it's very reminiscent to you remember that scene in Spider Man One with Tobey Maguire when he's trying he's got the hand movement going on and he's trying to figure out how to shoot webs. Like Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the kind of Spider Man that Tom Holland is but even younger and even in with the looking up to Tony Stark as the dad figure, we don't have to go into the reason that he becomes Spider-Man that we're all aware of with the death of his uncle, which is mentioned not at all in this movie, which I really like. Like, how do you guys feel about them not rehashing the reason Spider-Man is Spider-Man in this film? I thought it was great. Yeah. I mean, it's, we just got right to the good stuff. Correct. I feel that, you know, that we we labor over that sometimes whenever we've had multiple reboots of a single franchise. Uh, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, any of that stuff that we've seen several times over, I feel like they, like, well, we are doing a new one. Even though every fucking human being on Earth knows how he got his powers, we should probably show it again. And they do something really, I, I think, clever in this film. It's that once... Uh, his friend finds out about him being Spider-Man. He asks him a bunch of que- a bunch of questions, and one of those questions is, "How'd you get your powers?" Uh, spider bit me. Do you think that spider could bite me? No, that spider's dead. That's enough. Like, okay, great. Yeah, I, I agree, and I haven't even thought about that. Is that they're using um, what's his name, Ned? Right. So Ned. they're using <laughs> Ned as a tool for the um, the viewers to learn a little bit more about Spider-Man through his curiosity. So that's a good point that that, that is kind of helping us uh, cope with not getting the backstory of Spider-Man. So that's pretty interesting. Right. But yeah, there were, there were several moments in which I, I chuckled or even straight up guffawed, uh, even sniggled a little bit at uh, some of the, uh, the lines and the, I think the more awkward, relatable teenage stuff that happens to him, which is fantastic. I mean, obviously, oh, the, like when Aunt May walks in, he's in his underwear. Oh, yeah. I, I was waiting for a joke. I felt like they were staging it for some cringy, you know, kind of insensitive joke, and then it never happened. Yeah. Like, I kind of felt like the audience was was ready to gasp, like, oh, my God, it's 2017, like John Oliver or something. Right. But they didn't make the joke. She Maybe put on in. some clothes. Hey, guys, dinner's ready. Yeah, put on some pants. Yeah, I thought it was good. It. The uh, The... The ongoing obsession that all the men in the neighborhood have with her, I also thought was pretty fantastic. Well, that scene where the uh, Italian guy, the sandwich shop owner, speaks in Italian and says that um, Aunt May is like a, a an attractive older woman, and then Peter Parker saying, how's your daughter? I, yeah. I mean, that goes from being something that is kind of like, eh, okay, so they're talking about how attractive Aunt May is, to a, a really making it like a, a scene instead of it, just being, let's talk about how attractive um, 
what's her name? Um, Mar- Mar- Marissa Tor- Tomei is. Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei. Yeah, Marissa Tomei. Uh, but that was a good scene, man. It was really funny. And then with that place blowing up, it kind of comes full circle. Like it, it is a, you know, Peter Parker, Spider-Man is in Queens. He's protecting his home turf. And that's something that we didn't really, I didn't really feel that in the, um, Garfield movies is that Spider-Man could be anywhere, but I really felt like he was in Queens with this. Like it was very home turf for him. Like he is the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I thought that was done really well. Like this is New York. This is Queens. Spider-Man is here. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Instead of just Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. Swinging off skyscrapers right away. You know, he's not ready for that. Yeah. And I also really liked the fact that because he lives in Queens and he doesn't go to the island very much, he ends up not really doing much more than standing on like, you know, five and eight story buildings and things. So that when he climbs the Washington Monument later on in the film, he's like, I've never been this high before. And you're like, come on, man, you've been on plenty of high buildings. And you think about it and you're like, maybe you haven't actually. Yeah, maybe not. And also when he's on that, uh, that roof near the hot dog or newspaper stand, whatever. And the guy's like, yeah, Spider-Man do a backflip. Yeah. That and then he hilarious. does a backflip. And that guy actually, yeah, he does a flip. And then that guy in the credits is actually, you know, his, his name in the movie is yeah. Spider-Man guy. <laughs> so he can claim that forever to his buddies. Yeah. I was yeah Spider-Man guy. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the supporting cast and, and a few things that, some people have had a few issues with. Um, so comic book people will know Flash as the jock who in Amazing Spider-Man ends up um, becoming uh, Venom later as well in, in other comics. But he's he's the football player. And he's not that in this, right? He's the backup to Peter Parker in the um, Quiz Bowl or whatever the hell it is. It's a quiz bowl, right? What do they call it? Something fancy. Something it's basically a quiz bowl. Yeah, it was the kid from the uh, that Wes Anderson movie, The Budapest Hotel. That's the complete Grand opposite. Budapest Hotel. Oh, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, you're right. Complete opposite casting. But I, I really enjoyed this version of Flash, a nerdy version of Flash, because the I think the whole trope of jocks versus nerds is very over. Like now the bullies that we find are online. They're they're just as nerdy as Peter Parker. And so to have that represented in this movie, I think is forward thinking, is is realizing that like football players aren't the like alpha male that beats up on nerds as much as it was maybe fifteen, twenty years ago. Like the real bullies are online and are 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 not that stereotype anymore. And and the way that he just continuously makes fun of Peter Parker because he himself kind of is jealous of Peter Parker cuz he's got like Flash has the money but he can't buy what Peter Parker has. I thought that I thought that it was a neat twist and I don't expect to see Flash as like a a superhero in the future or even a war veteran or something like that. What are your thoughts on uh, this version of Flash? I liked him a lot, uh, and I think that since it was kind of a magnet school, right? It was a collection of all the, the the best and brightest students. That everybody there was, you know, 
to some degree slightly above average, right? So you're not going to have like a total like dumb jockey kind of guy uh, for for the foil in in school. Having it be kind of like a rich asshole kid, I thought was a pretty awesome twist. Plus, he got to have Spidey drive later. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, and he had that he had that laugh out loud moment where Spider Man has saved everyone and he's falling down, and you just see uh, Flash's head pop out. He's like, "Do you really know Peter Parker?" That shit was funny. <laughs> it was good. I think everyone had really good lines. And then we've also we blah, blah, and we've also found out that um, MJ that we were introduced to, who we find out is MJ at the very end, isn't in fact is not uh, Mary Jane Watson, but is Michelle something. So it's been pointed out that even though it was kind of a call to the infamous MJ, that this isn't Mary Jane Foster. This is. This may or may not be a love interest for Peter Parker, but it's not the Mary Jane that we know. Again, I like that. I, I like the story of Spider-Man, but we don't have to follow the comics. Like, we don't have to have the same love interest. We don't have to have, like, the same people playing the villains. The, all the stuff that we've been shown in the MCU is kind of happening in this movie, where it's like, keep the ideas and keep the tone, but don't don't follow the comics like it's a script. I think that's cool. Yeah, I, I really enjoy that as well. I think that kind of goes along with the whole theme of why probably all of us like this movie so much is because it was just, the whole script was full of little pleasant surprises, you know? I felt like it was pretty original, and some of the twists, like, I don't want to skip to the end of the movie, but the twist with Michael Keaton was pretty awesome. I didn't expect it. Yeah, so let, let's talk about yeah, Michael Keaton. There are all little things like that. Let's just talk about Vulture in general, who I thought was probably probably one of the better villains that the MCU has had Agreed. in a while, um, and probably the best Spider-Man movie villain since Doctor Octopus. Yeah. So spoil spoil for us, Dave, the the motivations and where where this character is coming from. So in the comic book, and I may have even talked about this on a recent episode of the podcast, but in the comic book, the Vulture is a, an older man who basically gets into crime to rob banks to pay for uh, the the failing health of his granddaughter. She needs medicine. She needs medical care. Uh, and so he robs banks and orders to support his granddaughter and, and his family. Uh, and it's very similar in the film, although it, it isn't a granddaughter. But essentially we find out very early on, I think it's the, I think it's the very first scene in the film that he's uh, like a general contractor or a foreman. And he has a company that removes uh, debris um, and cleans up, you know, from demolition, more or less. And so while they're doing the cleanup and the, the scrapping of all the the materials that, that, ha- that are left behind after the Chitauri invade during the first Avengers film, uh, the government basically comes in and takes over and kicks him off the site. And he's like, come on, man, you know, I... I put all this money and effort and hired a whole new crew and, you know, bought a bunch of trucks. And I, this is a huge contract for me. If, if you take this away from me, I'm probably going to go under and it's going to, you know, debilitate me. And they're just like, sorry, uh, this one's not on us. The, it's a, it's a joint effort between, um, the, the United States government and, or, you know, an arm of shield basically. And, and, you know, the, you know, Tony Stark, Stark industries. So he steals a couple of things from the site. They find out later on that they still got a truck full of stuff. And being that all the guys on his crew are salvagers, 
uh, and you know have pretty decent backgrounds in in welding and mechanical engineering, uh, they all kind of start taking the the pieces of the Chitari materials and putting them together to to create you know weaponry. And I love the fact that it doesn't dwell on like you know the early days of that. It just flashes forward eight years, and we get a scene with him flying in with the vulture costume. Yeah, that's all I need. And I like the the way they portrayed the Tinkerer as. Oh yeah, just like comic book people know the Tinkerer, but for this, he was just the guy who's the brains behind the um, the leader, right? The brains behind Vulture. I thought. Yeah, do you think uh, kind of while we're on the Tinkerer? Do you think that's a parallel to Ned being the guy in the chair? Because the Vulture had a guy in the chair, Robin Spidey. You know. Yeah, I think it's just kind of playing on that trope, right? There's always the guy in the chair. Yeah, it's kind of making fun of itself. Yeah, it's a right. little meta. It's a little meta. Now, I have, you guys know how I feel about the Shocker. Um, you love the Shocker. Shocker's one of my favorite villains in comics. And I was a little disappointed that Shocker got killed, but I really liked the way he was killed right away. Like, it was just funny. It's like, when he, I thought that was the levitation gun. No, this is the levitation <laughs> gun. That, that was cool. And I guess there's a new Shocker now. But he's not wearing the cool coat, man. Yeah, it doesn't have the cool yellow puffy sleeves or whatever. It's just yeah. such an awesome, awesome, stupid uniform. But anyways, his, you know, I mean... His, his gauntlet was the thing... Uh, what was it? Crossbones' his gauntlet, right? Because I, I guess they would have stolen it from uh, from the gear. Yeah, they, they do talk about... Um, I believe they specifically mentioned that... Uh, that incident whenever they talk about where they're pulling some of the materials from or a heist that they pull off, like, Oh, this was the such and such from, you know, this, this incident. Cause they talk about Sokovia. They talk about the Chitari. Uh, and I, I can't, what was the name of the, the, the country that they're in, in Africa, whenever that whole thing goes down at the embassy. Malaria. I think. Malaria. Not malaria. <laughs> Wakanda. <laughs> no, it's not Wakanda. They're not in Wakanda. It's wherever the the uh, the, the civil war opens. Oh yeah, I can't remember that. But that uh, but that's but what's cool, right? Uh, is that they're taking the time to kind of string together all of this history that we've already seen in these MCU movies. And I really appreciate that. I love the continuity. I love canon, like building these worlds, and I'm super happy that Sony is working to make Spider-Man part of this successful few movies. So I think that this is this, you could not have had a better showing. They really stepped up and I talk a lot of shit about Sony. So, I mean, this to me is one of the better Marvel movies in the last decade. So yeah. Uh, Bokeem Woodbine uh, as the the successor to the the Shocker mantle to kind of go back to that for a second. I love Bokeem Woodbine. Uh, you know he pops up every now and again and stuff. And remind me who he is. Uh, he, I mean, he was in a lot of movies like in late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, but here recently, he's been and he had kind of a cameo role in Black Dynamite as one of the pimp counsel. That's right. He. Oh, that's right. He's a. Uh, he, He's also in season two of Fargo. He's the the enforcer uh, that comes to town for the Kansas City crew. Yeah, he was good in that. Yeah, he's a fantastic actor. And uh, the fact that, you know, I kind of was upset that he seemed to be playing kind of like a third fiddle almost in this crew. So that's why when they killed, like, White Shocker, I was like, oh, Tom I Hardy. see where we're going with this. Tom Hardy. Yeah. Budget Fom Tom Hardy. Hardy. <laughs> Tom with an H Hardy. Wait, did you <laughs> say Fom right. Hardy? Thom. 
Yeah. I said farm That's already. Good. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> oh man. But, um, yeah, no, I, I, I thought the film was great. And, uh, while we're on the, the vulture subject, the, the turn that happens in, I guess like the, the fifth act there very, very late in the game, uh, is is fucking phenomenal and i didn't see it coming and i'm a person that very rarely ever gets surprised in films because i can normally see things coming a mile away because i've seen so many films and it's almost impossible to do something like really new and even though this wasn't technically new they did such a good job of getting you to look at one hand before they pulled the the handkerchief off the other hand where the the dove was waiting Uh, i thought it was really really fantastic when peter rings the doorbell and opens the door and holy shit yeah and not only that but also when uh when Vulture figures it out and they're in the car, the, the red light is there. And then he just has this different look on him. Immediately the green light comes up. It's like, man, right. that was just, that was so well done. So let's paint the picture a little bit. Um, just in case, just in case. Right. So Peter Parker is picking up Liz who is throughout the film, his love interest. And she's planning the homecoming dance and Peter Parker somehow gets Liz interested in him to go to homecoming. So he goes to pick her up and he opens the door and Liz's father is the vulture, Michael Keaton. And the reason I think it surprised me, and I told you this Dave on text, um, is it because her dad was white and her mom was black that I didn't catch that? Or was it just done so well? And I think it maybe have been a little bit of both for me. But I mean, sure, I did sure. not, I didn't see it, and then it blew me away. I thought it was yeah, just it's such great. A good turn. It was a good, it was a good turn. And the, and to Tom's point, he mentioned that when Michael Keaton, when Vulture figures out that he's Spider Man at the stoplight, I love that Liz is like playing the phone, like whatever, and and Peter Parker is in the back sweating, and Vulture yeah, kind of noticed that he's sweating, and he can't figure out why, and he starts asking these little questions that kind of are leading him, and he figures it out. Man. And then Liz is like, Dad, it's green. Go. It, it's really well shot. Really, really cool turn there. And you just don't think that he's going to be the smart villain who figures it out. And I really like that as well. And he pulls a gun on the poor kid. Yeah. Oh, I love and I, the vulture. I, yeah. He, God, it was such a good, good fucking uh, villain. Yeah, and he, um, he dropped, uh, he name dropped Bruce Springsteen. So he's all good with me right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> he's got the whole, he's like, I get it. It's like a, like a Bruce Springsteen, like working man kind of thing. <laughs> um, I loved that he's not really an evil guy. You know, he isn't someone that's here to murder people. Um, he does kill the shocker, uh, kind of accidentally. And after he does that, you know, he realizes that, you know, to be honest with you, if you stand in my way and you attempt to bring harm to my family, I'll put you down. Right. It's, it's an us versus them kind of mentality. Like, you know, you're either, you're either with me or you're against me. Very, uh, very Anakin Skywalker, very, uh, George W. Bush presidency, uh, versus Iraq. Well, he, I mean, he spells, you know, Sometimes you have to let inference tell you where a character is coming from. But Michael Keaton in this like literally tells you where he's coming from and it works where he's he's standing there about to fight Spider-Man and he's saying, "Look, it's people like Iron Man. They're they're pulling the wool over your eyes here. We're down here working to get the scraps so that we could even make do." 
Like, and you know, that's not true. It's true for Michael Keaton, but he's, he's making, he's making money is what is helping him raise his family. But I mean, he's doing more than okay. You know? Yeah. Look at his house. Look at yeah. But the first time that, that may takes Ned and, and Peter to the, uh, to the party, I'm thinking like, Holy fuck. Yeah. To have a house like <laughs> that. A nice ass house, City. man. Ooh. I mean, shit. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, I will say one thing I didn't like about the character initially. Um, and the part you just mentioned, you know, where he said, you know, basically where he's coming from kind of solved my problem was when he said the world is changing. It's just, for me, it's such a cliche line. Like, I think the trailer for Black Panther, somebody says the world is changing, and then not even a half hour later, you hear it in Spider-Man. I was like, oh, man. So, is this a new, you're not so different, you and me? Yeah, I agree with you, but at the same time, like, the world is changing is definitely, a lot of people, when they're about to do something that's fucked up, yeah. Create these reasons for doing the things like and the world is changing is basically someone saying, hey, I'm about to do something that I know is morally incorrect and, and just bad. But yeah, the like, world like is changing. <laughs> so yeah, it's like I, qualifying a joke saying, no, no offense, but yeah. you, know, you wouldn't have to say it if you weren't going to do something. He's pulling you. a break in bad is what he's doing. Yeah. He used to be the hardworking construction guy. Now he's cooking meth. Yeah. Now he has tankless water filters. Jeez. Yeah. Or water heaters, rather. Um, you know who we haven't know, talked about? I was about? worried it would be a cop-out. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just saying, I was worried it would be a cop-out. You know? Sure. There's been so many times where, essentially, that's just kind of kind of a plot device or a line where it makes you, you know, it's just an easy way to make you empathize and see where they're coming from and their motivations, you know? You just kind of think, hey, he's an everyman. I, I get it. But then you step back for a second you see what he's actually doing and, and the impact those weapons can have that he's selling. You're like, oh no, no, he's actually pretty bad. Okay. Yeah, Never you're mind. actually selling fucking weapons to criminals so they can kill people. Yeah, yeah. you're, you're a pretty shitty dude. Guy. Nice house. I, uh, yeah, but I do like your crib and your daughter. <laughs> she turned out really well despite everything. The I, I love like the the absolute you know ghost like face that Peter has throughout the entire time that they're standing inside the kitchen there. He can't like you know she her her mom's trying to take those photos. He's not even looking yeah, the at smile. the camera. He's just staring at Michael Keaton the entire Think time. Think about the perception of the daughter and the mom though. Looking back, like so, this is the kid that ran out on your homecoming. Look at these pictures we took. He wasn't even smiling. What is he even looking at? Like the <laughs> Peter Parker just looks like a dickhead. And you know what? Yeah. He kind of is. He kind of was. I mean, Michael Keaton was holding a knife. To be fair, sure. So it could play off like the sitcom cliche, you know, dad trying to scare the, the daughter's boyfriend or whatever. I like how uh, that Peter Parker is not self-aware it, because we can, he's not like, he doesn't know what he's going through as much as the, the people who are watching him or the viewers know what he's going through, you know? Yeah. He has no idea how to cope with it. And, you know, he bit off way too much, way too early. And I think that that's what makes him so likable. And that the, you know, rooting for the underdog, rooting for the every boy, that's who Peter Parker is. And that's who this Peter Parker is in this movie. And I think that that is the key to the successful comics, to the successful movies that have been done, is to recreate that kind of take. And this Homecoming did that. It was like the underdog, the, 
the boy next door. Like that's who this part Peter Parker was. And I, I was really happy to see that. Yeah. Like that, that brings up another part that almost threw me off. Uh, when he unlocked his suit or when Ned did, and it had all this new functionality and, you know, the AI was different. The UI was all fancy, you know, like all these different web shooters. I was like, Oh man, this is, they're going Sony on us. They're going to Sony the movie, just mess it up. But <laughs> right away, they somehow found a way to fix it. And he's, you know, doing the Ferris Bueller run through the neighborhood thing. It's like, okay, right. we're good. Great. We're fine. We made it. Yeah. Um, the, the kill, what do they call it? The instant kill. Yeah. So I was reading that they were going to even do more like instant kill jokes. Like at the end, they find out like Peter Parker finds out that instant kill wasn't like it kills someone. Instant kill was like a thing that would make all technology useless around him for like two blocks so that he could have just done it and stopped the vulture. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, That it like, like instantly killed like an inch in the car or something that allowed him to like stop a, you know, a perp from getting away. That's funny. Oh, that would have been hilarious. I mean, they set it up. They did, what, at least two jokes. So the classic joke telling is three. So they they missed that chance. They they got so much in there. I mean, even all the little jokes with um, MJ, where she's, you know, just her flicking off, like her um, sketching, uh, what's the comedian's name now? Sketching the coach, Hannibal. Yeah. I mean... A lot, lots of little things to enjoy in this movie. Now, and now that we're talking about it, I kind of actually want to watch it again to, to to catch all those little jokes. You know who we haven't spoken about, though, is um, Marissa Tomei, who I mm. really wish mm. – who Dave is a very big fan of. Um, and as, as he should be, because not only is she a fantastic act- actress, is she's gorgeous, and she plays a very unique – Aunt May, because at the end, she discovers that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, and that hasn't happened in any Spider-Man movies, and has happened in the books, but only after Spider-Man has been a um, a, a hero, like a like a leader, not a young, dangerous Peter Parker. So I'm hoping, because there hasn't been much Marissa Tomei in... She didn't play a huge role in this, even though she is a very important figure. Not too many scenes. So I'm hoping that in the next go round, they can play off her knowing about him. And she has a much larger role because she's a, she's a fantastic actor. So that, I mean, that'd be awesome. Yeah. She did a great job. I agree. Um, and it, the dynamic between those two is, is really cool too. It's not him with her on a deathbed in a hospital or whatever. It's they're basically friends and roommates and they kind of play off each other. It's kind of neat. Yeah, and as like yeah, Spider-Man um, fans and comic book readers, we kind of know what happened to his parents. But I'm interested to see what turn it's going to be for this franchise, right? Yeah, there was, there was one moment where Peter said something like, Oh, you know what happened to her when he was referring to Aunt May? And we don't actually know in this universe. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting little gap to fill in. We... uh and I'm, you know, touching back on what Blake said a moment ago is that she's, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic between the two of them. That's not really something they've done before, but I also really like the fact that, and I've, I've been in love with Marissa Tomei since my cousin Benny, which again is her doing exactly what you just mentioned a moment ago, being a fantastic actress, right? She is like pitch perfect in that film. 
and then also, you know, just being, you know, beautiful in and of herself, uh, character acting, but, you know, doing so at a very, you know, high level. She plays a, a protective family member who isn't a parent perfectly in this film. Never once does she feel like she's his mother, right? So she's got some sort of like, you know, matronly, you know, duty, uh, you know, you know, to him to be able to, you know, beholden to like a code that only a mother should do. She tries to give him space and, you know, she's a little younger than the most of the Aunt Mays we've seen before. So she's not like dispensing like, you know, grandmotherly wisdom. She doesn't knit. Uh, and I also like the fact that she has no idea how hot she is. She doesn't wear makeup. She only wears her hair straight down. Uh, she wears kind of nerdy glasses, really, really high-waisted jeans, which still end up being sexy as hell uh, just because it's Marissa Tomei. Uh, and, you know, she's really oblivious to all of the attention that the men in the world around her give to her uh, whenever they're in the Thai restaurant and the, the waiter comes over and like, oh, you know, rice pudding on the house. And she's like, oh, I, thank you very much. I have no idea why we, somebody would be so nice. And, like, the waiter just like, Mm, yes. <laughs> Walks away but kind of creepily. <laughs> but she's she's kind of oblivious to all this and that makes the character that much more believable is that you know, I've got this kid that I'm just doing the best I can with and I drive a shitty Volvo and my husband died tragically and I'm just doing what I can. Agreed. So let's hope that she has a much larger role in the next one. Also, can we talk about the fact that for the first time ever Aunt May knows who Spider-Man is. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was saying. It's like it's such a big deal that she knows because we haven't had that in any movie. We haven't had that, and we didn't have that in the comics until much later when he was a hero that had been a key part of the Avengers. So this is a young, new superhero whose guardian knows that he's out there being super dangerous. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it will be because it was one of the last things they show in the film. So, you know, she screams out WTF and you're like, Oh shit. Where's this thing going to go? And I think it's going to be a, a pretty, a pretty big point of contention with all that. So before I ask you guys to rate every Spider-Man movie, of where where it lands and where this lands on that list. I want to talk about two scenes. The first scene I want to mention is when he is trapped in the warehouse and he's talking to his suit. And he's just Karen. like, come on, Spider-Man, that part. Yeah, like the... This could have gone really poorly because it's a very Tony Stark thing, right? It's talking to your suit, another Jarvis. But it doesn't. And I think it's because the two characters are so different. Like Tony Stark versus Spider-Man and, and Peter Parker being a kid and asking these silly questions that, you know, Tony Stark would never ask because he knows he's talking to an AI. Um, I just thought it was really, I mean, it was adorable. I think that's exactly what it was. But, I mean, who else... What other character could have like a montage of just hanging out in a um, a locked bunker speaking to an AI as successful as that? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a good really, just Tony Stark. <laughs> and Deadpool, maybe, but you know, he might get tired of the AI. Yeah, this um, this whole suit is a throwback to uh, 
the comic book Civil War, where uh, Tony Stark does end up building a super advanced suit to give to Spider-Man, which we see at the end of the movie. Um, but Spider-Man turns it down. The twist in this is that these Spider-Man movies, he is going to have an advanced suit and it's going to continuously be a part of, I guess this character. Do you guys think that that's okay to continue on with the smart suit or would you, yeah. do you feel like he should grow up and not want this technology yeah, I, I kind of miss the Spidey Sense stuff, honestly. Yeah. I, I know we needed a break from it probably after the last couple of movies, but I, I personally do think that it should rely more on him coming up with things. I get the whole, you know, Tony Stark is a genius and wants to outfit the whole team, but part of what makes Spider-Man so cool to read about is that he's kind of stubborn in the same way as Tony Stark, where he always wants to use stuff even if it's not really ready. And it's kind of funny to watch it when it doesn't work out. So, you know, just seeing some of that on the screen would be kind of nice. Peter Parker made the first, in this movie, made the first shitty suit, which is fun yeah. to look at. But I really liked how intelligent Peter Parker is in the comic books and how he could create his own stuff that worked really well. I don't feel like we really saw that from this Peter Parker. And I think that it's hard to show that with, the extra suit that he has. So that's kind of my gripe with They're the film. Stuck. Kind of yeah. Stuck. The pigeon held, held themselves. So I don't know. I mean, he did make the spider web in, in lab or whatever science class he was in. Yep. So I guess there's hope that he's still uh smart in that way, but I guess we'll have to see. It, it's tough to beat, especially that suit at the end of the movie. It's going to be tough to beat that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny because I, I read a, a follow up uh, to the film with, Kevin Feige and, a, and Tom Holland and a few other people that were just talking about the fate of that suit that we see. And they said, you know, don't expect to see this in the next film. Hmm. You know? Well, they're talking about the super suit. They're not talking about the suit he's wearing. Correct. Yeah. They're talking about the one they show at the very end of yeah. this film. I'm glad for uh, that. And I, I am too. We only just kind of now are finding out what the suit even does. But I like the idea that, yeah, Peter is a really intelligent individual and he's able to, you know, use materials from his, you know, chemistry class to you know, create the, the webbing. But I mean, uh, the suit that he's being given by Tony Stark incorporates a lot of the designs from his original suit, you know, that he's responsible for, but he would never, ever, ever have the money to be able to do. Yeah. But there's pros and cons to that, right? Is that that's, what's great about Peter Parker as a, a comic book character is that, he has the powers that he's given to him and he's a poor kid from Queens and he's trying, you know, he's, he's going out there and saving people. He's not blessed with high tech stuff. Like he's not an iron man. And so that's kind of what I'm worried about moving to these next ones is that he's, some of that is overshadowed by this super tech suit that he has, which has been great for gags and stuff. But I just worry about the longevity of it and what it does to Peter Parker, the character and Spider-Man, the superhero. But I mean, they're doing yeah, a great I job. I hope it's like the opposite where the suit itself is like training wheels for him learning his own power, you know, instead of the other way around. Maybe. I mean, that's a good take. That could be fun to see. Yeah. I, I think that's something that'll happen. Wherein, you know, as, as he becomes a full member of the Avengers that he's able to say, 
like, oh, you know, like I've been using the suit for a while and it's really awesome, but you know, I've got some some modifications I'd like to make if you don't mind. Yeah, agreed. So let's um, let's rate this motherfucker. There has been six Spider-Man movies now. This being the sixth. Where do you put this one on the list? And who's what is right above and below? We don't have to do the whole six, right? But give me where this is on that list of six and what's above and below it. Well, obviously it's it's below Spider-Man 3 on the <laughs> list of bad Spider-Man movies. Right, correct. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd say this is, this is tough. Spider-Man two for me is one of the best comic book movies ever made. Agreed. Yeah. hundred percent. It's, it's so good. And I, I would be hesitant to go ahead and just call this the best Spider-Man movie ever because, um, it's new and I'm kind of smitten with it right now. Uh, and it, it's going to take a while for me to, to say for sure if it is the best one. I do like the fact that it takes place in the larger cinematic universe, which is something that didn't even exist whenever Tobey Maguire's uh, and Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies were coming out. Um, but I, I, if I'm just going off what, the way I see it right now, I'd say that this is probably number one or number two for me, easily, uh, but probably number two behind Spider-Man 2. I agree. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I, I would say that this is the best Peter Parker and Spider-Man we've seen on the screen, but... I wouldn't say that it's the best Spider-Man movie, um, you know, if that's fair to say, because the boss battle, if you want to call it that, with Vulture, just the whole thing on the plane and the weird quick cuts, and it's hard to see, and it's dark, and then it goes to the classic DC-type, you know, fight with fire and darkness, and you can't see anything. That really threw me off a little bit at the end, and... A lot of stuff around the high school and all that. I don't know how many times I'll be able to watch this movie just because of, you know, so many little things will probably start bothering me. But, you know, it's so new that we're, we're looking at it like, oh, this is the best ever. But realistically, I think 2 is, like you said, probably the strongest actual movie. Yeah, it um, could be a, as a whole. I agree. It could be a Batman Begins situation where it's a fresh take and seeing it is amazing, but it doesn't age as well as you expect it to. So I'm going to give it a, I'm going to go with Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man two. And then I'll go with this guy, this Spider-Man homecoming. And then I would go to Spider-Man one with Tobey Maguire. Correct. Mm -hmm. And then if I, was I think after that for me goes, uh, amazing Spider-Man with Garfield, then the next Garfield and then Spider-Man three. <laughs> yeah, right. That's pretty much my list right there. Yep. I, it's tough for me to say whether or not I, I like Spider-Man 3 or uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 better. It's true. I, I don't know. We could just leave Th those are That's like <laughs> when we argued the, the pros and cons of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 <laughs> or versus uh, Suicide Squad last year. Yeah. They're both, They're both doo-doo. Real, real poopy flicks. Oh, my God. There's a couple of super awesome moments, I think, though, in Amazing Spider-Man 2 that even though on the whole it's kind of a – you know, a frozen turd of a flick. I, I still think that it's got more high points than than the third Spider-Man film, which really, really sucks. But there's because, less dancing. Well, there is less dancing, that's for sure. Hmm. And Emma Stone. So you know, they all have their highs and lows. But this one had Homecoming to just bring it bring it all back into the 
bring it back around, bring it back to the rodeo. Uh, great film, really, really funny. And, uh, the way they, I don't want to say wedged it into the MCU because that makes it sound like they forced it, but they made it make sense without it messing up the flow of the story that they're telling in this movie. Like it yeah, was, it keeps the stakes kind of low. It doesn't really try to shoehorn too much of the extended universe. And it's just, you know, it, it never really feels like it's just setting other movies up. I think is where we're going with that. It's just its own thing. It's good. And it references the other movies. Yeah. I, that's one thing that I've heard, um, Kevin and, and company talk about before is, you know, they, they are purposely very vague with some things until they need to be specific so that they can have the flexibility they need to be able to do things like this movie. Because let's face it, several years ago, this would not have been part of the plan. I mean, I, I would imagine that Kevin at some point was like, now, if there's any way we actually get Spider-Man and the X-Men back or, you know, Fox and Sony want to play ball, then this is where we could fit them in. Uh, but I, I feel like, you know, that's the beauty of this universe is that Kevin has such an amazing vision for what he wants uh, or how he wants to it all to unfold. And they've done really well by not you know, painting themselves into a corner by being ultra and hyper-specific about some things. Like, I need to give you an explanation for this, so I'm going to give you as much, much explanation as is needed right now. And if later on it becomes important, then I will fill in more gaps for you, uh, which is one of the reasons why the different characters can appear in other films without them having to be major characters, right? You know, we have never known about the fact that Captain America was commissioned to do a bunch of, you know, public service announcements or, you know, uh, <laughs> motivational videos for, you know, the, uh, you know, for schools and things, but it makes total sense for his character to have done that sort of thing. So, uh, it's, it's little flourishes like that or little touches like that, that, that really, really make these movies in this, this shared universe, kind of the only thing out there for, for what it is. Uh, I also read something the other day that, said that the second Infinity film, the the fourth Avengers movie, was going to be the end of the first story arc in the, the cinematic universe. And it will comprise it will be comprised of twenty-two films. Think about that shit for a minute. Twenty-two fucking movies that all share a common storyline. Is it what a time to be alive. Right. I want to buy the DVDs or Blu-ray and I don't even buy things like that. Like I want to own that because I've seen all of them and for better or for worse, I've enjoyed the majority of them. Yeah. I, there's a couple for me that, that aren't the best films, but I don't think there's any of them where I'm just like, nah, I don't, I don't care about that. That's not a good film. I mean, they're all good movies. Yeah. What a time to be alive. I think Tom said it right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Never did I think on a Saturday morning in the nineties watching uh, the Spider-Man cartoon and, X-Men cartoon and the animated series of Batman, you know, on a Saturday morning and PJs eating cereal that I think we'd be, you know, talking about a 22 movie story arc in Marvel. That never would have crossed my mind. It's true. Yeah. Last thoughts. My last thought is what I like about the Sony MCU team up is that I'm seeing the same kind of stuff happened in this, these trailers that we see in other good films, like the star Wars franchise is there, they're making, they're making scenes just for the trailers. Like that scene of Iron Man and Spider-Man, like flying or flying and swinging through Manhattan. That didn't happen. 
in the movie. Yeah, it's almost like dirty money. And also when they, the vulture, yeah, when when the vulture, like there's a bunch of scenes in the vault that the vulture did a bunch of stuff that aren't in the movie, but are in the trailers. This is the kind of attention that we need to see happening to comic book movies. And Marvel is giving it to us. And now Sony is too. So that's awesome. Any last thoughts, guys? No, I, I think we've pretty much said everything that I can imagine to say about the film. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, I don't know why you spoiled it for yourself because there's so much good stuff in it that you, you just missed out on. Uh, but definitely go see it ASAP. And uh, if you've already seen it, which hopefully you have, if you've continued listening this long, then uh, go see it again. You can come see it with me because I'm probably going to see it again before it leaves IMAX and Dunkirk takes over. So anyone that hasn't seen it yet, if you're wondering, there is at least one scene of Spider-Man landing in front of an American flag. So don't worry. And there's yep. at least two scenes we didn't talk about. So, boats. There's still some surprises. Hey, guys. Thanks for talking about Spider-Man with me. I appreciate you giving me your time. And any listener who listened to the whole thing, good on you. Good for you. Wasn't it worth it? I hope so. Next week, or in two weeks, most likely, it's going to be episode 50. I'm not sure what we're going to do yet, but it's going to be special. Hopefully, we'll get um, Sequoia in a room talk to that guy you think we're gonna do star wars or we're gonna do an episode what do you think mr pitches i say we finally get around to reviewing all-star superman Mm. that's true i kind of want to do like an all-game episode i have no clue what we're gonna do but i'm gonna figure it out but hey from this guy to that guy to those guys i want to remind all of you fellas and gals i use fellas as like a you know, not just guys. When I say guys, I want you to know that ladies, I'm talking about you as well. We're talking about all, all right, ladies and girls, homets, homets, um, <laughs> females from across the world. I want to remind you to read a fucking comic. See you guys next time. <laughs> <laughs>